If you love me, keep my commands. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. The words of Jesus. You see, the key is putting God's words into practice. You know, we've all probably heard the phrase, actions speak louder than words. Our words can speak one thing, but our actions tell the real story. And my family, we have a running joke about when I will actually be home from work. My words speak, yeah, I'll be home around four. But my actions speak, it's more like maybe 4.30-ish, maybe five, maybe 5.30. You see, I'm, I'm optimistic about uh, when I will be home. But the truth is, uh, I'm not usually home when my words say that I will be. And you know, the problem is, is that when, when I, I first started, it was, it was just uh, Mary that knew when I was gonna be late. But now that my kids can all tell time and they can use a phone, I get hounded until I actually make it home from work. Well, in the same way, it's one thing to say, I believe in God and I'm living for him. But it's a completely other thing to act it out. That's challenging. Well, we've been, we've been in this series looking at the words spoken by Jesus and how we can put them into practice. Remember, as we saw in Matthew chapter seven, that real faith is exhibited by the person who hears the words of Jesus and puts them into practice. So how do we make our faith real? How do we make our faith real by putting it into practice? Well, one powerful way that we do this is by serving. Serving is putting our faith into action as a part of following Jesus. 
This is why our mission as a church is to develop fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ by growing and serving together. And so today we're going to talk about what does it mean to serve together? What does it mean to serve God, to put our faith in action? Well, we read in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus is teaching his disciples, he's teaching his followers, this is what it looks like to to live out your faith. And and Jesus uh, gives them instructions like, put others before yourselves, be people of peace, show kindness and mercy and compassion and and generosity. Then Jesus says this in, uh, in Matthew chapter five, verse 16. He says, in the same way, which he's referring back to everything that he had just told them, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Jesus is saying our good deeds, our serving points to God. You know, I love the way that Pastor Leon Crump uh, describes serving. He says that we are called by God to be mediators of his renovating work in our world. We serve in the power of Christ and we will succeed. Jesus has instructed us. God has equipped us. The Holy Spirit is leading us to be agents of transformation through our serving. Our serving is so powerful. And remember, whether it was uh, going or giving or forgiving or loving, there's nothing in the words of Jesus that we don't first see illustrated in the life of Jesus. Jesus gives us a, a great example of serving. And the way that we see this in the Bible is we, we look at uh, the Gospels, which are the, the accounts of Jesus' life and ministry, and we see kind of a, a rhythm, a cycle of serving in Jesus' life. We see first and foremost that Jesus always pointed to God, that he pointed to God. Jesus started out by unashamedly telling people about God. He led with his words. Jesus said things like, look to God, or God's kingdom is near you. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And so Jesus always explicitly pointed to God. Now there's good for goodness sake, but Jesus always explicitly did good for God's sake. He was always pointing to God. Next we see that Jesus validated his words with actions. The Bible says that the people were amazed because Jesus taught as someone who had authority. Jesus didn't just say that God was doing something powerful, but Jesus, his actions showed that God was doing something powerful. You could say that Jesus didn't just talk the talk, but he walked the walk, that his actions, his serving showed love. And then third, we see that Jesus remained connected to the Father. The Bible says that he would often rise early and he would go to a a solitary place where he would pray, where he would connect to the Father. Now, he's probably pretty tired from, you know, serving people the night before, and yet, rather than sleep, he said, it's more important for me to go and connect to the Father. And so Jesus remained focused on the mission to point to God. His words pointed to God. His actions of serving validated his words, which pointed to God and he remained connected to God. And so as we serve, as we follow Jesus' perfect example, we point to God with our words. Our actions validate our words, and we remain connected to God, our Father. Now, I know what you might be thinking. You might be thinking, yeah, but that's Jesus. I mean, he was God's son, he was perfect, he was created to serve. Well, spoiler alert, 
we are created to serve. But what does it look like for, for me? What does it look like for a, a normal, average person, or maybe in my case, below average person, to serve God? How, how do I let my life point to God? Well, for this, we're going to look at the story of a woman who's only mentioned once in the Bible. She was a regular person just like you and just like me. And her name was Dorcas. Which, by the way, as a side note, as Mary and I, uh, as, as we were you know, having our children, we had daughters, we wanted to be able to name our daughters after a faithful follower of Jesus. Uh, someone who, who glorified God, these, these faithful women of the Bible. And I need to be honest and say, we never once considered the name Dorcas. <laughs> so you're welcome, girls. Yeah. In Acts chapter 9, we read about Dorcas. So beginning in, uh, in verse 36, we read this. It says that in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which when translated into Greek is Dorcas. Dorcas was always doing good. She was always helping the poor. Well, about that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. And so we see this faithful servant of God, Dorcas, that, you know, she was always helping the poor. She was always serving, and she gets sick, and she dies. And so uh, they did kind of the normal practice for that day. They washed the body, and they placed it in the upstairs room of the house. Uh, the reason they did that is so that people would be able to, to come and go. They could see the body. They could uh, comfort one another. It was kind of like a, an open house funeral. That was the normal practice of the day. And we can read, uh, because of her serving, there was probably a lot of people in and out of the house. A lot of people are coming. They're expressing their condolences. They're sad. They're crying because this faithful servant, Dorcas, has died. Well, it says that Lida was near Joppa. <coughs> Excuse me. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lida, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. And so they're like, hey, Peter's just in the next town over. Let's invite him to come over. I mean, you know, they'd heard the stories of people being healed, of, of God doing great things through the, through the apostles. And they thought, man, maybe Peter can do something amazing. But at the least, he can at least come and pay his respects to a woman who has faithfully served the Lord. So it says that Peter went with them to Joppa, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. And I want you to catch the scene, catch the setting that, that Peter walks into. It says that as he went in, all the widows stood around him crying. They were crying and they were showing him the robes and, and the other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. And so Peter walks into this room and, and these women, these widows are just crying. They're distraught. They're sobbing over the fact that their, their good friend Dorcas has passed. And we, in order to understand the, the depth of their sadness, we have to understand the situation of widows in that day. You see, if a, if a woman's husband died, if she didn't have sons or brothers or, you know, an uncle or, or, or someone, some man to tie her to the land, to, to, to support her and um, advocate for her, then she was in a really, really difficult situation. I mean, these are, these are desperate situations. Widows would starve to death. 
if they didn't have a means of income. And so we see for Dorcas, what does she do? It says that she was always helping the poor. She was always doing good. She made clothes. She made robes for these, for these widows. They're standing there. They're holding up. Look, I remember when she made this for me. And she wasn't just making clothes for people who needed clothes. It's very likely that, that these clothes that she was making were a source of income, that these, these widows could go and they could sell the clothing Maybe even they were helping her make the clothing. Maybe, maybe she had started this entire kind of industry, this entire business, and she was supporting, she was funding these widows to keep them alive. And so, of course, they were sad. Of course, they were sad that Dorcas had died. And so they're mourning her death. They're crying. They're saying, we don't know how we can go on without her. She was such a servant. But then we see that Peter goes to work. We read that Peter sent them out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and he prayed. Turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, Dorcas, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and he helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. And we can only imagine the joy. We can only imagine the celebration that this, this woman who was so near and dear to these people, to this community, is alive again. In fact, if we read on, we read that the news of her resurrection, the fact that Dorcas is alive again, that it spreads all around the community, it spreads to other places, and it's likely that part of the reason that it was such good news is because she had this reputation of serving, of giving to others. Now what stands out in this story is obviously the fact that God brought Dorcas back to life. I mean, that's, that's, that's a highlight, you know? That, that's kind of the trump card experience of the day. You know, if, if you see somebody uh, come back to life, that's probably, you know, the highlight of your day, if not your week or your month or your entire life. Um, so that's really, really cool. But what I don't want us to miss, what I don't want us to miss is, is this important lesson that's, that's tucked in there. Don't miss the life of service that Dorcas lived. She met real needs. She made clothes for people who didn't have clothes. You know, one of the things that we strive for here as a church is that we want to be the tangible touch of Jesus Christ in the lives of others. We don't just want to say, yeah, God loves you and I'm out of here. But we want to say, God loves you and because God loves you, we love you, I love you, and I'm going to show you that in a real way. Uh, to, to take this phrase to be the tangible touch of Jesus Christ, we want to, you could say, be or make a real life difference in the lives of other people so that we can point to God. It's not quite as smooth, it doesn't fit on a bumper sticker quite as well, but that's what we wanna do. We want to make a real life difference for people. I mean, for Dorcas, other people could see the blessings. They were holding up the tangible blessings of how she had served them and helped them. You know, I've, I've done a lot of funerals over the years, dozens of funerals as a part of the life of this church. And um, as we meet with families, as, as I have met with families and others, it's interesting what the families say. It's, it's interesting how they reflect on the person's life. I often hear phrases like, he was a faithful father who served his family. 
She was always serving at the church. I remember doing a funeral where uh, I talked to the family and they said, we don't even know why she had a house because she was always at the church serving, always in the kitchen. They just should have put a little cot back there for her because she was always in the church building serving. We could see God working through him. Man, these are, these are great reflections. But you know what I've never heard? I've never heard anyone reflect upon the square footage of the person's house or how many followers they had on Instagram or their net worth. Because in the kingdom of God, in in the big picture of our lives serving and giving glory to God, those things don't really matter as much, do they? What does matter is the way that we serve. In fact, I would say that probably the most meaningful funerals I've ever attended or I've ever done are the funerals where the pastor didn't even really have to preach a sermon because the person preached the sermon, they lived out the sermon with the way that they lived. What if it was that way for us? What if we lived? What if we served so deeply that at our funeral, all the pastor would have to do is recount the weeks and months prior to our death and say, that's how they lived. What if you lived? What if you served this week, every week, as if it was your last week? Then people would see your good deeds and praise your father in heaven. You know, there are moments when serving God is what you could call a, a, a mountaintop experience. I mean, sometimes I feel like I have a front row seat to the highlight reel of all of you serving. I think about, you know, amazing events, amazing serving opportunities that you all have had, like, like Night to Shine. You know, a couple years ago, we put on Night to Shine, an, an amazing event for individuals in our community with developmental delays. Or I think about Jumpstart, the thousands of kids who have received free physicals through our Jumpstart back-to-school clinic, or, or, or all the mission trips that we've done. I mean, we just had our 12th team return from Kenya. Amazing. There are churches that dream of sending one team to Kenya or somewhere, and yet we have had 12 different teams that have gone and served, and you know, my favorite part about going on those trips is watching you serve, watching people come alive, and, and watching God work through them in amazing ways, and, and everybody's tired when we come back, and, and everybody's just giving it all that they've got, but everybody's so excited. These are big, exciting serving opportunities. And we cannot underestimate the power of these experiences. But friends, we also cannot underestimate or overlook the power of serving in everyday life. I can tell you from experience, the transformation is not just built upon big events, but in the daily commitment to putting faith into action through a consistent life of serving God. I mean, think again about the faithfulness of of Dorcas. She faithfully, quietly served God by serving others. Her 
Her service wasn't flashy. It wasn't high profile. She wasn't out on mission trips with Paul. But she was back home faithfully making clothes for people who needed clothes. So what does a daily life of serving look like? What does it look like? It looks like a father who comes home each night and does the dishes and prays for his kids. It looks like a young adult who takes two or three hours out of their weekend every weekend in order to serve up here in first kids so that they can point kids to God. It looks like a, a junior high or high school student who, who steps away from, they leave their social group, their friend group, so that they can go and sit with someone who's sitting alone. It looks like people who quietly, faithfully serve others. You know, you may not even know this, but we have a team that's part of the life of our church that faithfully comes into our building in order to make food for the Good Samaritan Inn. The Good Samaritan Inn is a, is a ministry downtown that feeds people who need food. And this group, they faithfully, they quietly come in and they serve. And they have been doing this, listen, for 17 years, 17 years of faithfully serving in the name of Jesus for the glory of Jesus. And you can be certain that lives have been transformed because of that faithfulness. It's not a huge mountaintop experience, but it is a faithful life of serving. We can serve like Jesus. We can serve like Dorcas. And just as a reminder, and I need this reminder more than anyone else, that our motivation is God's glory. Serving isn't about us. We serve to point to God. It's not for our own glory. It's not for our own accomplishment. But I know that sometimes our motives get confused. Because sometimes we are tempted to compare. We're tempted to compare and say, there's no way that I could lead worship like that person. There's no way that I could teach like this person or, or serve in this way. They're so talented. They, they have so many skills. I couldn't do that. Or even worse than comparing, sometimes if we're honest, we wanna compete. It's almost like we want to build this resume of serving and say, look, I do this and this. I've been on this trip and I serve in this way and I have this uh, leadership role. Why do we do this? Why do we do this? The reason we do this is because we're competitive people. I mean, maybe your family, maybe there's a, a game or an activity that, that just divides your family. Maybe, maybe Monopoly brings out the worst in your family. Or, or maybe, you know, it starts as just a, a friendly pickup game of basketball in the driveway, but pretty soon, mom and dad have gone to a level that no one should ever go playing against their kids in the driveway. Why do we do this? Because we're competitive. For our family, for our family, it's the game Uno. Yeah, you know that game that's for ages four and up? Once the Uno cards come out, it's a guarantee somebody at some point is going to take those cards and throw them across the table. Somebody's going to cry and run and jump on the couch. And so a year or so ago, we instituted a rule. This is our rule. We don't talk about Uno, no, 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 no. 
we don't talk about Uno. Because Uno just brings out the worstness. Thank you, that's the first clap I've gotten. <laughs> Thank you. And now you know why I don't lead worship. And also, if you have no idea what just happened, find an eight-year-old, they'll tell you, okay? So all that to say, serving should not be that way. It's not a comparison. It's not a competition. Because it's not about us. We serve with the gifts and the opportunities that God has given us so people will praise our Father in heaven. You know, for some of us, God has given us opportunities to serve in very big and visible ways. And you know what? We praise God for that. But not everyone has the opportunity to go to Kenya or, or play in the band. For others, our serving is simple and close to home, such as making a meal for another person or, or helping out in the front office or, or maybe it's serving uh, with, our, with our tech team or serving down the Mosaic Cafe or, or serving with the hospitality team. I mean, for all of us who are here in the West Auditorium, as well as for all of you who are worshiping in the East Auditorium and even those online, Someone, a volunteer, welcomed you. And even though it only took two seconds, they welcomed you. They acknowledged your presence and they said, we're glad that you're here. And that's such a small bit of time, but it's so powerful. It's so meaningful. No matter how you're gifted or what you can bring to the table, your service is valuable to God because all service points to him. You know, I love the way that, that the uh, apostle uh, Paul says it in his first letter to the Corinthians. Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. He says, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Put yourself completely into it because you know that your labor, your serving in the Lord is not in vain. Everything that we do for the Lord is important. You know, I think about the person who serves by washing dishes after a funeral dinner. It's not a glamorous position. It's, a, it's not a, an overly visible serving opportunity. I mean, the only cool thing is that you get to wear this translucent plastic apron, right, Wes? Yeah. And so that person, they're back there serving. Hardly anyone notices them. And yet it's important because that person is making it possible for our church to provide comfort and support and connection for someone who has lost a loved one. I mean, that meal is a connection. It is a connection point. It's a connection point to others, but also it's a connection point to God, maybe a reconnection to God. That meal could have an eternal impact. I remember a funeral dinner a number of years ago where an entire family, as they're sitting around enjoying the meal together and reflecting, they said, man, we need to get right with God. 13 people came to faith at the funeral dinner. In the weeks following that funeral and dinner, there were 13 baptisms. There is a place for everyone to serve in the kingdom of God. Each person, each one of us is uniquely called and gifted to be a part of what God is doing. And we're not only called to serve, but we are created to serve. God created us for his glory. 
And so there is a place where your God-given gifts, passions, and experiences intersect with the needs of others as an opportunity to point to God. So find your place and start serving. You know, a great start would be talking to one of the staff members here or stop by the, uh, the Welcome Center or, or go to the church website, firstdecatur.org serve and see a list of places where you can begin serving. You know, maybe at some point you stepped out of serving. It's time to step back in. Because the pandemic saw hundreds of serving roles left vacant. There are so many ministries here in the life of our church, even outside the walls of this building, so many ministries that are ready to take off in new and powerful ways and change people's lives. So step in. Step in and be the spark that will transform another person and make an eternal difference. And as we serve, we serve together. We're not doing this alone. God has given us a community of other believers to support us, to encourage us, and, and to sharpen us for greater service. I mean, I think about the togetherness of the ministries here at the church. I mean, I am a little biased towards Club 305, our after-school program, uh, our after-school ministry they have here. But I love Club 305, not just serving the kids. I love the people who I get to serve alongside. I love the friendship and the encouragement, and, and they give me a hard time, and, and, and that's great. I love hearing about how, how much fun the first kids team has or, or, or our student life ministry. I mean, that's, that's like the first kids family or the choir. I remember a couple years ago, uh, a member of the choir was sick and was in the hospital. And so I thought, well, I should probably check up, you know, provide some pastoral care. I went in the room. They immediately kicked me back out of the room. They said, no, we don't need you here. We've already got uh, a system set up for visiting in the hospital. We've already got meals organized. We don't need you. I mean, it, it pays to be a part of the choir. They will take care of you. <laughs> These are not just places to serve but they are places to belong. They're places to belong. The relationships, the connections that we build as we serve are so fulfilling because God created us for community. So from all of this, everything we've, we've talked about so far, we see the power of serving. We see that serving is transformational. It's transformational for others. Yes, it changes people's lives, but serving is also transformational for us. It helps us to be more like Christ. Living the lifestyle of a servant takes our eyes off of ourselves and puts our eyes on others. In a culture that's all about me, Jesus calls us to do the opposite, to live with a kingdom mindset by serving God and serving others. And this is transformational because it's what we were created for. I mean, there's so many people who look back at, at a serving opportunity. Maybe it was, maybe it was a trip to Kenya or, or maybe it was serving in First Kids or, or serving the Good Samaritan Inn and they look back and they say, that changed my life. I am a different person now than I was before I started serving. Serving is transformational. Serving also leaves a legacy of faith. Serving puts our faith on display and allows those who are near to us to see what we value. It's not to show off, but it's to set an example. I mean, this is why I love watching families and, and especially multiple generations serve together 
because the younger generation gets to see what's important to the older generation. So whether it's serving together, uh, you know, like at a block cleanup day or, you know, serving together here, packaging food or sorting items or something, it's, it's so much fun to see, especially when you've got three generations. You've got the kids, you've got the parents, maybe you even have grandma and grandpa serving. Parents, if you want to leave a legacy of faith for your kids, let them see you serving serve together as a family. Show them what's most important, glorifying God. Finally, serving points people to God. It creates an open door for someone else to begin a walk of faith with Jesus. You know, it was probably about 16 years or so ago that I was looking for a bus driver, which by the way, some things never change we're looking for a bus driver right now for Club 305. But uh, 16 years ago, uh, I was looking for a bus driver. I was doing ministry up the road here in, uh, in Lincoln, Illinois, and uh, working at a church. And we just had a, a big uh, kind of week-long outreach event, uh, vacation Bible school. A lot of kids from the community uh, came. And uh, I remember coming to the end of that week, and I asked the kids, um, how many of you would be interested in going to church each weekend? You know, uh, we just did VBS, but how many of you would want to come uh, on the weekend? Now, we're, you know, we're, we'll pick you up at like 9 a.m., and you know, you have to be dressed and eat breakfast and all that on your own, and 91 hands shot up. I remember, specifically, 91 hands. We want to go to church. And I thought, oh, No. So I went back to the family ministry team, uh, our children's ministry staff, and I said, is it okay if we completely blow up children's church each weekend? They said, yeah, bring it on. We just have to get them to the building safely. So the church had a bus. We just didn't have a bus driver. And I was only like 23, so no insurance company in America would insure me driving the bus. So uh, we needed to find a mature, um, stable bus driver, okay? So I began uh, asking and praying or looking for a bus driver. And then a gentleman named Doug came and said he would drive the bus. In all actuality, as he walked up to me and told me he would drive the bus, his wife, Amy, was standing a couple of feet behind him, shaking her head like, yep, He's going to drive the bus. He got voluntold he was going to drive the bus. <laughs> Either way, we had a bus driver. And so Doug faithfully drove that bus each week. And I'm going to be honest and say, you know, there was some weeks where it was challenging, but a lot of weeks were really, really good. The ministry was really good. And the bottom line was dozens of kids were getting a ride to church each week. Those kids got connected to the church. Well, about 12 years or so ago, uh, Mary and I moved uh, here. We, we finished our ministry in Lincoln, and we moved down here to Decatur. And uh, we had lost touch with most all of those, those little kids who had uh, who'd ridden the bus. Well, one of those little kids was a, a little girl, I remember when she was in like first or second grade, named Paige. Last October, Paige walked through the front door of our house. And I was like, what? First of all, you're not in second grade anymore, but secondly, what are you doing here? You see, Paige continued to ride that bus. The people of that church, they loved her, they cared for her, she grew in her faith, and she committed her life to ministry. 
Now, Paige is serving God by serving kids in crisis. Man. I give glory to God. But I also thank Doug for driving that bus. By serving, he opened a door for someone else to come to faith in Jesus. How will God use your serving to open a door? How will God use you to help someone else come to faith in Jesus? Actions speak louder than words. How will your actions, how will my actions of serving, how will our good deeds validate our faith and point people to God? Because Jesus said, let your light shine. Get out there and serve so that others may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven.